Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a conversation here with Kim Carter. Kim was a registered nurse and still is a registered nurse, but she is now into holistic medicine and therapy, and her website is flipsidepsych.com, F-L-I-P-S-I-D-E-P-S-Y-C-H.com. Kim was neck deep in everything as a nurse that has gone on here over the last two plus years. Where I, where I met Kim was interesting. The school board meeting where I spoke a year ago, uh, Kim was in the room. And I'll never forget it because when I was done and I turned around, you can even see part of this on camera, but when I was done and I turned around, one dude high-fived me and then Kim was, uh, she was right there. And she stood up and she was yelling and hooping and hollering and screaming at the top of her lungs and I loved it. And she was applauding and uh, I think she high-fived me too. And then later on in that board meeting, she got up to the microphone and she started railing on all of the school board members about the mask wearing and how they're breaking the law and it's a medical device and a number of other things. Of course, none of these school board members care because they're all dummies. But uh, we, ended, we ended up uh, meeting one another through mutual acquaintances. And then that was it. That was essentially it. We ended up going after the school board with all of the things that you've heard me talk about over the last year, certainly during the wintertime. And Kim was the individual who went with me to the sheriff's department to basically inquire about the bioweapon shots, at which point, of course, we received no answer. But I've been wanting to have her on the show for quite some time. And I got to tell you, it's just heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking what she says here and, and, and the stories that she brings up. But um, this is an individual, ladies and gentlemen, who is a patriot, and that is putting it mildly. So again, check out her website. She's 100% into holistic medicine and holistic care, flipsidepsych.com. And give this episode a listen, share it where you can, because again, as she says, and as I say in this episode, we cannot let people forget what happened over the last two and a half years. Uh, my name is Kimberly Carter. I am a registered nurse. Um, well, I was trained as a registered nurse, but my true calling, I guess you could say, would be a life coach, metaphysical healer. Um, my education was kind of varied and took me down many different paths that I didn't really understand at the time, but I think looking back now, I can kind of take care of a patient and see them from like a thousand foot view. Um, I was always the odd student, the one always constantly asking questions in class and my peers hated me. Um, I graduated nursing school in 2009, so it's been 12 years now. And one of the things that I did notice, you know, when I was going through nursing school is our instructors were always talking about things that they really couldn't answer the questions on. And I realized in all of my nursing classes that our medical system was kind of backwards. Um, it didn't make sense to me because we were literally waiting until patients were at death's door before we would start treating them or educating them about taking charge of their own health. And so I was the one always asking questions about those things. And, and again, the instructors couldn't answer those questions. And I don't know if it's because they didn't want to answer them or if they just truly didn't know. Um, but shortly after I graduated nursing school, I went in and got my bachelor's um, in alternative medicine. And while I was studying that, all of the pieces of that part of the puzzle started to fall together for me. Um, back in... I think it was in the late 1800s, homeopathy was like the major system of medicine. And for your listeners that don't know, homeopathy is a system of medicine that is based on like cures like. And its premise is that if you're exposed to something, say like poison ivy, the remedy would also be made with poison ivy. So by the time that remedy is fully complete, there is nothing left of the original substance in it. It is merely the vibrational input from the plant that would cure the body. So it's the most amazing and interesting system of medicine I have ever studied. And the American Medical Association shut it down 
because they were curing patients. And one of the doctors during the um, hearing for Dr. Samuel Heinemann, who created homeopathy, um, one of the doctors was quoted as saying, it's not that we have a problem with the fact that he's treating patients. The problem that we have is that he's curing them. And so they shut every homeopathic medical school across the United States down and they took control of our medical system. And that medical system is run and controlled by John B. Rockefeller. And he is part of the, um, he actually owns the American Medical Association. He owns the universities who teach medicine and he owns the doctors. All the doctors are trained in the same medical systems that he designed. So he only gives them the information that he wants those doctors to know. So what he wants those doctors to know is that your health and your healing is never going to going to occur. They are to they are to keep you sick by using medications that cause other problems knowingly. So, conventional medicine is designed to keep you sick for as long as possible to get as much pay while making your life as miserable as possible, so that that way you die quicker. Because the more stress you're under, the more the physical form completely deteriorates. So after after I graduated with my alternative medicine degree, I somehow was led on a path of spirituality and I ended up in metaphysics. And from that understanding, I finally could see the whole picture of why homeopathy was so perfect and such a beautiful system of medicine because metaphysics takes you into quantum physics and it allows you to be able to see the macrocosm and the microcosm and how beautiful this entire world was designed. And when it comes to an individual person's health, that is not any different because whatever the, the person has experienced throughout their lifetime, it creates trauma inside of the soul and trauma will cause an energy blockage in the form. And that's where the symptoms or the dis-ease occurs. So, being able to help somebody heal the trauma would then allow the physical form to start healing. And so the other part of metaphysics is realizing that you have real eyes that see things differently than other people do. And so when I began nursing, while I was taking care of my patients, um, handing them two cupfuls of pills literally almost overflowing while they're laying in my bed completely incapacitated. I realized that I was poisoning my patients. I was assisting in that poison. And I couldn't, for some reason, shake the feeling at that time because these people were about my age and they had a long life to live, but yet it was being stripped away from them because of all these pills that were in these cups that I was handing them. And so it, it was a, a really big challenge working with my coworkers because they could not understand my perspective at all. And I mean, I think that they had also been brainwashed into believing the same thing, but what, I, I don't know whatever reason it is that they couldn't see the things that I was seeing bothered me because I felt like I was this lone person on an island all by myself in the world and it sucked. It really did. So let me ask you, you know, that, I had, let me jump in real quick uh -huh. and just ask you that one question then. What, what uh, of the people you've worked with, what percentage of them are as awake as you are? Do you think? Oh my goodness. Um, honestly, I think of the people I've worked with maybe three and 12 years, three people and they don't even, three people and they don't even know the information I know about our other medical modalities. I mean, you're looking at systems of medicine that are over 3000 years. And in nursing school, you literally get one week of alternative medicine training or education. And they cover massage therapy. They cover chiropractic care. They cover osteopathic medicine and they cover like a little tiny bit of energy healing, but that's it. And they make it out to be, the most derogatory forms of medicine and they train the students into believing that whoever might believe in these alternative forms are quacks. That's what they're teaching them. That's how they're training these nurses. So 
it, it kind of didn't, it surprised me at that time, but when I finished my metaphysics, it did not surprise me anymore because I understood what had been done to them psychologically. You know what I mean? They, right. they couldn't escape the brainwashing. So, um, when 2020 happened for a minute, for a minute, I was scared because this wasn't something I had ever seen before, but I also had the understanding because of my metaphysics that all things occur in the mind and fear is the greatest weakness that any person can have because as soon as that fear takes over, it literally opens the gates in the mind to allow anything in. And one of the things in the scripture that I find to be most fascinating when you translate via the metaphysical side is that the mind is the gateway of heaven. And if you are God in physical form and energy of consciousness of all consciousness is inhabiting you, you decide what happens not only in your own physical form, but in your life experience as well. And when you're controlled by fear, then everything that matches that energetic vibration is what is going to occur in your life. And so when everything about the lockdown and everything started coming down the pipe from the governor, I'm like, okay, trying to maintain control of my emotions while observing the situation objectively. And the CDC came out with their mask policy. First, it was the N95. A couple hours later, oh, we're, we are short on N95 masks. We are now going to, you know, it's okay if you use surgical masks. And that had my head talking to the side in a second. And then they went to cloth mask. And I knew in that moment, in that instance, that this had nothing to do with a virus. This had nothing to do with the spread. This had to do with control. This was 100% purely about control, and the lockdown was about an attempt to literally strip us of every single one of our freedoms. I felt that, and I knew to the core of my being that's what was going to happen. And as I watched this all unfold in my facility, my residents were being stripped of their resident rights. They were no longer able to choose. They were force-isolated removed from the only thing left in their lives, their family. Where were you working? So they couldn't see them. Where, where were you working um, at the beginning of this? I was working at the Knowles of Oxford. And after this whole thing kind of shut down, I then took an agency position to work in the COVID clinic in Butler County. So, so while I'm just, just, Knowles, Sorry to interrupt. Just so people know, the Knowles of Oxford is a retirement community, right? Oh, yes, it is. And it's the uh, only, well, there's one other facility in Oxford, but both of which that are left are five-star facilities. And, you know, these this place was probably the best place that I had worked in in this area of Cincinnati. And so I was happy there. Um, so I, I thought that, you know, the care that the residents were receiving were top-notch. I felt like you know, the staff that they had there was incredible. And I felt like the company really took care of their employees. They cared about them. They, they didn't treat them like they were just numbers. And I think, I think that that was the, the thing that kept me there. And so while I'm watching my residents get their rights shipped away and become literally what I saw as the largest scale elder abuse I've ever witnessed in my life, um, the thing that caused me to no longer keep my silence was when they force tested every resident and every staff member against their will. And I did not, in, at any point in my training, I mean, this is microbiology 101, immunology 101, the immune system is specifically designed to fight off bacteria and infection. At no point in time has an asymptomatic disease ever been a thing, ever. This is the first time in history an illness can, is, is said to be spreading 
by a person who has no symptoms, by a person who has nothing. Like, how do you reconcile that in your brain? Like, so the first time a disease that is there and it's, it's so virulent, you have to be tested to know you even have it. Like, how does that make sense? You know, and so I started becoming very verbal with my director of nursing. And when he's passing out, you know, the safety goggles and a shield, a face shield to the staff, like, what is that going to help? Do you not think the breath is going to go right underneath the shield? Like, this is like a P-section in a swimming pool. Like, no, this is stupid. This makes, there is zero logic in this. This makes no sense. And then when it came to the residents, I'm going, no, this is abuse. Now, Kim, we don't need to, you know, talk about that. You know, we're professionals and we have to follow orders. No, no. At what point, at what point do you stop and say, these people have no idea. And these people are breaking every single law when it comes to our residents. At what point do you start answering? For yourself and stop following orders because you have an obligation to these people to not abuse them regardless of the reason. You cannot sacrifice freedom for safety. And these people have a right. And all of the other nurses, they agreed with me, but they were not willing to be verbal with me and advocate for our residents. So as it continued on, my residents started becoming more and more depressed, um, asking more frequently to see their family. They were only able to talk to them on the phone at, you know, certain points, but then they were able to, you know, see them through a, an iPad. Um, and then it got to where they were doing window visits. And that was the most devastating thing I have ever seen in my life. I mean, this, this whole thing was excruciating for me. And then they went to, because the residents were getting so upset about needing to see their family, and the administrative team at the Knowles, for some reason, decided that it would be a good idea to talk my residents into stopping their life-saving treatments, to go on hospice so that they could get around the whole rule and the mandate of the only time a family can visit is for a compassionate care visit. So they talked my patients into giving up their life-saving medical treatments, the, thing, the very things that were keeping them alive, to go on hospice so that that way they could then euthanize themselves, essentially. They murdered my patients. They murdered them. And they were okay with it. And I got more and more vocal. And it became one of those things where I was questioning infection control's knowledge. I was sending both my director of nursing and the infection control independent studies related to mask wearing, the independent studies related to every other disease where we had been following other countries' medical advice and science and the research and everything. But yet, for some reason, this one we weren't. And for some reason, my director of nursing and the and the infection control nurse refused to even see it. It was like they refused to be told that what they were doing was wrong because then that would challenge them to their very core. Because to believe that something so evil and so sinister had been allowed to make them do something so evil and so sinister they did not want their minds to even contemplate that. Let me let me ask you just very quickly a couple of numbers questions. How many residents? Okay. How many residents were at the Oxford Knowles? Um, at the time, I believe there was seventy six total in the building. Um, I could be wrong; could have been a little bit more, a little bit less. But we had, um, you know, of course, the residents that were on the long term care side or the rehab side. And then you had uh, the residents in memory care. And then you had the residents over in assisted living. And, you know, the memory care part of it, you know, those patients, they had dementia. And 
the families that come in to see those patients, they're generally there every single day because it's the only thing that keeps those patients remembering that they're their family, even just a small, tiny bit. And so because they couldn't come, my residents started making verbal statements about nobody caring about them or all of their family was dead or um, where are they at? Why aren't they coming? And it was just, it's just heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking because that didn't need to happen. It didn't need to happen. You know, our immune system is designed perfectly and nothing about this, nothing about this was, was right. It was not right. How many did they kill based on your estimation? So we only, we made it through the entire season of COVID with only one positive patient. And then, and that was because an employee became positive. And this was back when the PCR test had first come out. And so there was a lot of false positives, but also, um, um, I think a lot of false negatives and, What's interesting about this PCR test is that, you know, for one, it's not designed to detect the presence of disease. And even the creator that made that test specifically said that it was not designed to test for the presence of disease. And strangely enough, the creator of that test was was killed in January of 2021. Yeah, Carrie Sorry, January 2020. Yeah. So, yeah, I find that rather interesting. And... um so anyway, not to mention the fact that, you know, the PCR tests are designed by, you know, cycles. So, you know, the, the more sensitive or the more the more numbers of cycles that it has, the more sensitive it is. And these PCR tests were dialed all the way up to make sure that pretty much everything tested positive. So here we are being forced forced to have a medical procedure that we did not want done. Without consent, our noses were being violated. Like, it was like nose rape because, you know, these these Q-tips that they're shoving up people's noses, they don't just stop in the nasal cavity. No, no, they shove it all the way back up into your brain and tickle your brain with these stupid swabs. Now, you're telling me that a disease that is so bloody virulent that you have to wear a, a cloth mask and a, a face shield in order to prevent the spread of it, you can't collect my spit. Like, why? Why you gotta go digging up in my brain? What's wrong with my spit? Because it should be just as infectious as my, you know, the back of my brain. But no, no, it, it couldn't do that. And then, you know, what's funny is that once people started questioning the validity of these tests and started making memes, making jokes about these tests, all of a sudden it seemed like. Other countries started wanted to push the idiocy and see how far it could go. And so China started doing butt swabs. Yeah. And they actually started butt swabbing some of our officials. <laughs> and they had to let it be done. Wow. So they're butt swabbing people over in China. And again, I think it was just to point out the ludicrousy of this to people that were quite maybe a little bit on the edge of waking up, but not quite there yet. And that was just what it needed in order to push them over the edge, you know, like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Why we got to have our butt swap now? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it only takes just that little bit. If you had, if you had 70 some odd patients though, I mean, what? How many? How many were killed? Oh. What was the? You know, did, oh, sorry. Did, did, it's okay. Did you see an immediate drop off in in people? And then, of course, not to get. I mean, you, we can get as graphic as we want here, but you kind of alluded to the process of what they would do to basically mm -hmm. euthanize these people. What what specifically would they do? So, um, it was around this time. So uh, that I that I had taken my uh, position over at the COVID clinic was when this started happening. So social service would go into the resident room and they would talk to the resident about the options that they had. You want to see your family? These are the only options that you have. And the only option is 
compassionate care visit, but in order for that to happen, you have to be on hospice. And that means that you have to stop your dialysis, you have to stop your chemo treatments, you have to stop all of those things because those things are what's keeping you alive. And so then the resident would be talked into calling the family member or the uh, healthcare power of attorney and then telling the, the healthcare power of attorney that they've decided that they're stopping their treatment and that they are um, now going to be a DNR and they are going on hospice. And so because, of course, the family uh, was devastated, they could they can't see them. They have no idea how quickly the patient can deteriorate because all they've been hearing is COVID fear porn. They believe that, you know, they have diminished in health despite what the nursing staff was telling them about what was going on with the patient. You know, fear, again, is a very, very powerful emotion. So the power of attorneys were agreeing to let them stop their treatments and to go on hospice. So when that started happening prior to me leaving, I know that there were one, two, there were three of them that had been talked into it before I left. So we had lost two patients over on assisted living and the three patients on the hospice. Then when the vaccine came out, they vaccinated everybody in that building and they were highly encouraging and then all outright, um, coercing and blackmailing the staff to get the vaccine. Within a week, all of a sudden, that facility had to have a COVID unit. And I'm up infection controls, but have you documented which residents gave this vaccine and which ones have gotten sick? Well, it's not possible for that vaccine to get to do that. It, this is new technology. I'm like, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. That's exactly what this, this vaccine is designed to do. It's not even a vaccine. You don't vaccinate somebody with something that doesn't cause an immunological response at all. That is not a vaccine. And so we, we all of a sudden had to have a COVID unit. And we had, let's see, one, two, three, four. There were six of them on COVID, on the COVID unit. And one, two, Three of them died on the COVID unit, even though they were no longer symptomatic. They were about to be released back to their normal room. And then a week after we removed the other three and put them back in their room, they died of a stroke, a heart attack, and another stroke. So that was the last that I had heard. Um, and, and again, that was maybe a two-week time frame. So approximately, I left it. So approximately 12 people. Yes roughly six before the vaccines and then roughly six afterwards Correct. in just a two week period. Correct. Good God. Mm -hmm. And so there was one of the girls that I used to work with up there. She actually would make a spreadsheet um, and she had been doing it all the years that she was working there. She would put the name of the resident down that died on the spreadsheet so that we could track um, who had died. Because, uh, you know, in, in medical field, you know, we, we know that people die in threes, especially in a situation, whether it's in the hospital or a nursing home, it always comes in threes. And so she would document the first name. And then shortly thereafter, usually sometimes a day or two, sometimes it would be a week, then we would have the second one. And then literally either the same day or a couple days after the third one would go. And when she started the list on the COVID patients, I looked at her and I was like, how big do you think this is going to get? She said, I don't know. So I left and went to the COVID um, fair. <laughs> That's what I call it, the COVID fair. The uh, director of health um, or the commissioner, she was the one that was in charge of putting together this entire thing. And they were, of course, getting grant and federal funding. Um, to hold this vaccine clinic. And so all of the major counties were holding these clinics. Uh, Hamilton County had one, Butler County had one. Um, I think they had them out in Wilmington, but then you know, they had all of the little clinics popping up. Um, Walgreens, uh, CVS, Walmart. And then they started doing these over in the schools, um, holding them in the public. That was more towards the later end of the summer though, because I was still there for that. But what I witnessed, well, first we all, there was nine of us uh, agency nurses that the um, Butler County Health Department had to bring on. And 
we get up in the room and the director of nursing is telling us, you know, basically what we're going to be doing at the fair. They've divided it into different areas, one for education, one for consent, one for the shot. And they basically had to drive a pathway through the fair to get to the barns, which is where the vaccines were being given. And uh, we were to help them administer these vaccines and vaccinate the public. And my first question was, are the people coming through being educated about the fact they're part of a live ongoing trial? And she looked at me and her mouth kind of fell open a little bit and she went, no, no, I wouldn't think so. And I said, isn't that our job is to educate our patients to make sure that they can give informed consent? And she said, our job is to vaccinate the public, not intimidate them and make them more anxious about it. Wow. Yeah, um, that that statement did not sit well with me or one other nurse. The other nurses didn't care. So you're looking at out of group of nine, two questioned that order. Okay, so there's your statistics on that one. Damn. Um, so then she went on to say, the director of nursing, that the education department would be giving them all of the information related to the vaccine via the EUA, the emergency use authorization, that the CDC and the FDA had provided. So let me let, let me backdrop. Well, let, let me backdrop just real quick and ask you this question, too. Back in the nursing home, uh, back at the Knowles. Were there any family members that would show up to see their family members who were residents there? Were any of their family members awake? There was only one resident family member that came barreling through those doors, and it was the daughter of one of them. And they literally escorted her out of the building and told her she could not come back. Only one. Only one out of 72 patients, 72, 72, 76, roughly. I don't know. What happened yeah. to her family member? Um, he was one of the ones that died. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. Uh, sorry about that. Let me, uh, let's see. COVID clinic? Yeah, let's, yeah, go back to that one. Okay. So when she's talking about the emergency use authorization, I asked for a copy of it. And so she passed a, a copy of the emergency use authorization and the information about the vaccine around to us. And, and I asked her again, I said, so, I mean, these are all generic side effects of the vaccine that are associated with every vaccine that you give, but there's none specific. How, how can these patients give informed consent if they're not being told the potential risk involved with this? And she says, well, that's all the information that we know. And I said, correct. That's, that's what's concerning me is that we don't know. So how do we give them information to prove that they have the knowledge to be able to make full informed consent our job is to educate them so if we don't know how can we educate them so that they know and then other nurses the the other of the nine not the other one but the other nurses they then started questioning me if you have a problem giving this vaccine why are you here anyway um, well, because I believe that people are adults and I believe that they're capable of making their own, you know, research actions so they can learn about things. And I believe that once they've researched and they feel safe, they can make their own informed decision. So I don't have a problem giving somebody something that they're fully informed of. But are you telling me that I have to do this with them not having full informed consent and that I don't even know so that I know what to tell them if they ask questions. And the director of nursing typed in and says, by the time they get to us, they will have all the information that they need. Mm, okay. All right. I'll play along with this for a little bit. So then, you know, we were putting together, um, putting together all the different little 
clinics and stuff, some of us would go to different businesses during business hours because the clinic wouldn't be open late enough for these people or the people that worked night shifts couldn't get off work. So they started doing community outreach, you know, trying to force as many people to get this vaccine as possible. They didn't have an excuse because we're going to come to you. And then these companies started mandating it. And then again, I'm, I'm screaming from the rooftops. A mandate is not a law. You cannot force somebody to have a medical procedure or a medication without their will. You can't force somebody to do something against their will. This is no, this is in violation of every law of nursing ethics. You cannot do this. And then, um, then people started getting fired from their jobs. And around that time was when, so the contract with the COVID clinic ended in June. And in July, August, um, some of those mandates started coming down. And I, being a metaphysical minister, yeah, I'm not gonna let that happen. And so I made a TikTok. And that TikTok went viral. And I all of a sudden had a congregation from coast to coast because I was providing people with a religious exemption so that they could keep their job. And I was overwhelmed. I was not sleeping. I had hundreds, hundreds of emails of people begging me to help them. They cannot lose their job. They've got these medical issues. They've got you know, so many years and close to retirement, they're in the military and they want to stay in the military. Yeah. And so then I started researching what I needed to do for our servicemen and women in order to make that a thing. Because if they can stand on that wall and they can do what they do to protect me, then I'm going to do what I can do to protect them. And so then... I started providing me a religious exemption to the service members of family members that were contacting me. I made another TikTok and then that TikTok account was deactivated. It got too much traction. And um, so I had to make another one and the other account did not get as much notice. They shadow banned it immediately. So of the people I did get requests from, I provided every single one of them with an, a religious exemption. And um, I had two patients come through the COVID clinic, and um, one of them was literally hyperventilating in her car. And I asked her what was wrong, and she said that she's uncomfortable because she's afraid of shots. She's already gotten the first one. The first one made her pass out, and she feels like she's being forced to get this. Ethically, legally. After hearing that, I cannot give her that vaccine. I can't. And so I looked at her and I said to her, have you gone to your doctor and discussed this with your doctor? No. Well, I can't give you the shot today because you have not talked to your doctor about the fact that you passed out from the first one. Um, you have no idea whether this is safe for you or not. And so I can't vaccinate you today, but I would highly suggest that you, one, talk to your doctor and two, figure out what it is that you want, because you said to me that you feel like you're being forced to do this. You need to decide for yourself what you should do. And her response was, well, I just, I just want to do what's right. Oh my God. What's right. What's right is what's right for you. Not for everybody else. Everybody else doesn't matter. You are responsible for you and only you. But the fact that, that she was brainwashed enough to say that, it, it's very, it was very concerning, you know, because now I'm starting to see the effects of all of the fear porn that started back in March. And um, so then the second patient that came through was an older, or an older lady. She was probably in her 60s. And she... She acted kind of very standoffish, a little frustrated. She wasn't mean. She wasn't rude. Um, but she was 
in patience sitting in her truck. And they were literally only in the barn for like two seconds or less, you know, long enough for us to give them the injection and the car to roll out. So her impatience was, was kind of interesting. And I just started small talk with her and she made a comment that she didn't like this at all because she had to do this. And I said, you don't have to do anything. And she was just like, no, I do. My family is forcing this on me. If I want to see my grandbabies. And I said, I, I have no response for that. I'm so sorry. And the fact that people were having to make this choice, it was now not only an individual choice, it was now being forced on you by your friends and your family, causing a great division between family members. And it happened to me and my family as well, you know. I have members of my family that refused to come to my grandpa's festival of life because there were other members of our family not vaccinated, including myself. My eldest son got vaccinated because he wanted to spite me because he believes that my research on vaccines since I was pregnant with him has always been insane. And he grew up in this Tavalonda school district being told that, um, what's right is being vaccinated and that he is not healthy because he's unvaccinated. So the stigma surrounding these vaccines all of a sudden become even greater, you know? So here, here I've been doing research on vaccines for 24 years before there was ever a word related to anti-vaxxers. And this is now being pushed on him via the social conditioning and group think that he grew up in at Talawanda. So I'm watching this, this division occur within my own family. And then ultimately from the macrocosmic perspective, it started happening everywhere in, in neighborhoods and cities and the government. I mean, the, the, the difference between one side of thinking and the other side of thinking is so drastic, but so very obvious once you sit back and look at it. I mean, one side is completely absurd in their thinking and the hypocrisy is overwhelming. How do you not see it? You know what I mean? And I know that there can't just be 80 million people completely delusional believing the same things that I believe. How does that happen on such a large scale? But then I thought, okay, well, the other side has an awful large number of people on their side too that believe the same thing. So which one, which which group is right in their way of thinking? No. I was just thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure how to figure that out. And I keep analyzing that, that, okay, we believe that, you know, those of us that didn't get vaccinated and that have, think, have thought that COVID was a, a big ploy anyway from the onset, you know, we're, we're thinking this way, but they're thinking the government is here to protect us and we're safe and my body, my choice, but only when it comes to murdering babies and we're going to change the, the language and the definition of pedophile and groomers so that that way it doesn't upset the ones that are trying to molest children. What is that? Yeah, that's a nice summary right there. I, I am floored yeah. that that even has to be questioned. And those of us that are questioning it are sitting here going, you are defending and supporting a child rapist. What is wrong with you? Like, has it been normalized that much that it's okay? Yeah. We have all known that this is going on behind the scenes for so long that we have become numb to hearing that when a child is molested or raped from a family member or a close friend, that we simply say, we always knew he was a weirdo. And we move on. We move on. And I'm trying to understand how it's possible that we got that numb that protecting our children is now a crime. See, this is why I wanted to have you on, because the thing that drives me up the wall is that people are forgetting. They're forgetting everything that happened in 2020. They're already forgetting it. 
It's being, it's already yes. being memory hold like nobody's business. And I just want yes. people to consistently remember what happened. Because yes. honest to God. What we went through was a nightmare. Absolutely. 100%. And for, again, for people to just blow that off. And unfortunately, it's a lot of the jabbed that are just blowing it off. But a lot of them, of course, are starting to realize what they've done to themselves. And that kind of leads me to, to this question, if you don't mind. And it has to do with, you know, some of the people, again, that, that either you previously worked with, but do you communicate with any of them? And have any of them either come to you and said, hey, you know what, you were right, this vaccine is not what we thought it was? I mean, is there any remorse or any learning taking place? No, not yet. Um, my next door neighbor and I had a falling out. She's a cardiac nurse that works over at Mercy in the cardiology center. And um, she and I had a big falling out because I was trying to point out the large increased numbers of patients that were presenting with my, uh, myocarditis, pericarditis, strokes, heart attacks, all of those things that have never been so very high in frequency before. And she said that, no, that's not what's happening. And I'm stupid and I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. I said, you know, I said, the information's out there. You probably should educate yourself because um, I can almost guarantee that um, you're going to start seeing an increase in numbers, Angela. And if you're educating people on the wrong thing, um, you're going to be held accountable for that. So your job as a nurse is to make sure that you continue your education and staying up to date so that that way you can keep your patients safe. If you're telling these people that they need to get vaccinated, you're going to kill them. You will kill them. And she got very angry with me and I, um, she left and we've had a very strange neighborly relationship now for almost, um, a year and a half. And, uh, I've had, um, some of my other fellow nurses that, you know, the ones that were agreeing with me that things were wrong and they had to get the vaccine in order to keep their job because they fell for the whole coercive crap, um, tell me that they had believed me and they had, you know, supported that the whole time. Um, they're not seeing any health effects yet, at least one of them, um, one of my other ones has, has started seeing some health effects, but again, she was on that same group of people that didn't really want it, but was forced to do it. So, but all, all in all, like, um, the nurses, like you can find these all over TikTok, um, nurses that were advocating for the vaccine that are now vaccine injured and are now saying, you know what, the unvaccinated are now vindicated. Um, they were trying to, they were trying to warn us. They were trying to protect us. And we just did what we thought was right. What we thought we knew and we didn't. And, you know, so there's, there's more of those videos coming out on TikTok now, but nobody that I know in my close circle. And I, and I'm almost kind of grateful for that because that means that, you know, the best that they got did not harm them immediately. However, we do know that it's happening slowly underneath the surface that damage is occurring. It's just now a matter of time. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole concept of poison. It's not that it right. kills people immediately all of the time. It certainly does with right. many, but you know, yeah. Right. And I think that that's like, that's been the whole MO when it comes to the vaccines, the, the, whole, the whole vaccination program as a whole, because, you know, there's such an increase in autism, ADD, ADHD, oppositional client disorder, you know, all of these young childhood issues that had never been a thing prior to the increase in all of the other childhood vaccines. And, you know, so over time, it's designed to create and destroy the body and never be associated back to or with the vaccine. And so when people are having these chronic issues that start from a really young age, you know, you have to go back and look, you more than likely completely destroyed your body with heavy metal poisoning. You have got neurological damage that 
um, that was used or from the preservatives used in the vaccine that crosses through the blood-brain barrier. You have neurotoxic poison basically destroying your body. So your autoimmune issues, your chronic pain issues, your inflammation issues, all of that is a result of that kind of poisoning. You know, but because they will not uh, correlate it back to the vaccine, they're, they're missing the ability to treat the cause of it. And so then they're going to spend the rest of their lives simply treating and managing the symptoms, you know. So it's unfortunate, but that's the nature of the beast. Are, are, are you are you aware of nursing shortages? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm aware of nursing shortages. Um, so I had decided that I was going to walk away from nursing because I literally went through a um, PTSD panic attack when I attempted to go and get a different job after the um, COVID clinic. And I, I, I had a panic attack in the parking lot because the memory of being forced to wear a mask and the memory of having to abuse my patients kept flooding through my mind. And I literally broke down and had a panic attack and hyperventilated. So I had to take a short period of time off. And um, while I was recuperating, I swore to myself that I was never going to take another nursing position. However, you know, the wolf comes <laughs> knocking at the door and sometimes door dashing isn't enough. So, <laughs> so I ended up going back to nursing um, in March of this year. I took another agency position, a long-term care facility out in Dayton. And they um, were so short-staffed, 95% of their staff was agency. And so it was interesting because from March until now, they've gone through um, a full administrative switch. And they're trying to make it to where the facility does not have any agency in it by September 1st. So they started hiring a bunch of people, started offering the agency staff that was, you know, consistently coming in, um, you know, the ability to take on a full position. And then it was found out by the agency nurses that they only wanted to offer a, a max wage of $35. And, um, so that was their, their high end, but a nurse came in there that had 20 years of experience as an LPN and they wanted to pay him $25 an hour and he laughed in their face. You know, if, if COVID did one thing good, it was to teach nurses how very underappreciated they are and that the companies do not value them. They are only a number and they're only a warm body for them. They don't care about you. And so COVID did teach nurses their worth and so all of the nurses that I worked with that were all different agency nurses, they were like, yeah, no, we're not taking a job like that. Why would we? We can trickle that now filling their staffing needs, you know? So um, I found myself in an interesting position on Sunday when I went to work. Um, they had scheduled this new scheduler. They had scheduled uh, one nurse and one aid for every unit. And we had a rehab unit, a long-term care unit, and the memory unit. And they, um, each unit had, uh, this, the, let's see, the rehab unit had 18 patients on it. The long-term care unit had 35 patients on it. And the memory unit also had around 32, 28 to 32 residents on it. So one nurse and one aid to care for that many people it is not safe at all. In no world is that considered safe nursing to patient ratios. And so my aide decided at eight o'clock that she was going to leave. Her agency had already given her permission. She was leaving and she was not doing this on her own. And these people that were scheduling this way was ridiculous. And she was not going to be responsible if one of these people got hurt and she walked out. So I was left on my unit by myself and I attempted to contact the scheduler and I had to call her five times before she finally picked up the phone. And I asked her if there were any other people that she could get and she said no. And I told her my aide left that she needed to come in there and she needed to help me work on that floor. And she was like, I ain't coming in there and working on that unit. She was like, why don't you buckle down and help your aide? 
And I said, you know what? I offered that and she left anyway. This has nothing to do with me not wanting to help her. This has to do with the fact that you didn't staff this facility the way you should have. And so then she went off on me and then she hung up on me. So then I tried to contact the the director of nursing. And again, I called three times before she finally answered the phone. I asked her who was on call and she said, I am. Why? And I said, because I'm going to need you to come in here and work with me because I have no aid. And she said, what? And I said, my aide just walked out. There was only one nurse and one aide on every unit. And I can't run this unit by myself. I cannot do it. It is not safe. I need you to come in and help me. Well, I can't come in there. I've got court tomorrow with something else going on from, from one of the other issues at that facility. Um, that's not my problem. This is your job. You need to come in here and you need to help me or I will be calling my agency and I will also be leaving. You are going to be, do not return. Don't you dare threaten me. You need to do your job and you should take care of those people. No, 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 ma'am. No. Your job is to come in here when this facility needs staff. Your job is to make sure that you're putting proper staffing in place. Your job is these people. You have 30 minutes before I'm done with this med pass to get here. I suggest you get here. So I hung up with her and I contacted the uh, local police to find out if what they would send an officer over so that if I did have to leave, my residence would not be left unattended. And she denied the request. She told me that an officer could not be there on the premises, that they're not babysitters. And I thanked her told her that I had done my due diligence and requesting assistance um, from all positions and um, I appreciated her help. And so I hung up and I finished my med pass and I had, um, I had been getting ready my med pass for the 6 a.m. meds and I had already pulled some narcotics and had been ready and waiting for when that time came. And I knew that if I was leaving that I was not going to want to leave those narcotics in those cups. So I had the nurse over on the memory unit come over and waste those narcotics with me. And about five minutes after that was done, the director of nursing and the um, administrator walked in. Now, uh, mind you, it had already been chaotic. And the administrator looked at me and she says, you're not wearing a mask. Put one on. And I looked at her and I said, no, I'm not putting a mask on. You're out of PPE compliance. It's against our infection control. I said, really? That's what you're worried about? You're worried about PPE and your infection control policy when you don't have any staff in this building to take care of these residents? I was like, I am just completely blown away here. These people deserve more than this. And the director of nursing was just like, we do our jobs. Nobody called and let us know. Um, Yeah, actually, people were calling you, but none of you guys will answer your phone. Nobody will respond to us. You only pick up the phone because I don't stop calling you. You are failing these people. You are not doing your job, and I hope you take these keys from me because if you don't, I'm not sure what you're going to do. And so then she was like, oh, I'm not taking the keys. And I'm like, okay. So I opened up the narcotic drawer and I took pictures of all the narcotic cards. And the administrator was like, you can't do that. That's a HIPAA violation. No, ma'am, it's only a HIPAA violation if I'm taking identifying patient information. I'm not doing that. I'm taking the name of the narcotic and the number that's associated with each card because I'm not going to have you accuse me of doing some kind of nastiness with these narcotics and trying to steal them. So whatever. She's like, we're calling and we're going to report you for patient abandonment. I said, please do, because then I can provide them with all the evidence that I have against you for neglecting these residents. So I said, I'll be taking the pictures of everything that's in this cart, and I'll be taking the pictures of everything in the other cart, and then I will leave. Well, then they decided to call the cops on me. I was like, cool. Maybe they'll finally come out now, because I called them too. So then (laughs) they just looked at me, and they walked off the unit. I got done taking the pictures, and I had three or four residents that were sitting right there listening to the whole thing and they started clapping. And I was like, what are you guys clapping at? And they were like, thank you, Kim, for advocating and standing up for us. Thank you. Somebody finally said it. And I was just like, I'm sorry guys. And they were like, no, Kim, we, we do deserve better. And you're the only one that has ever said anything. And so I kind of, rushed her on the shoulder and went to leave and she just busted out bowling. 
So I got downstairs and the director of nursing was standing at the front door talking on the phone to the cops and I walked out the front door and she's describing my uniform to the cop and I walk over to my car and I get in my car and I drive off the property. Well, as I was driving out of the entrance, the cops were coming in and so they saw my car and they turned around and they followed me out. So they, they ended up pulling me over and the cop comes up to my window and he asked what happened, and I told him, you know, the whole situation. I said, you know what? I said, I cannot, I can't wear two hats legally. I cannot do the functions of two nursing roles. And I said, you know, if I'm in a resident room trying to perform, you know, patient care on them, and somebody on the other in another room codes, I would have no idea. I would have no way of knowing. How would I know that they're in an emergent situation and they're a full code and I needed to be in there? I said, it's not safe. This is my license and I'm not, I'm not doing that to these people. I can't. And it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a very hard catch 22 because I don't want those people left alone in a situation to where they have nobody to provide care for them. But I also have to think about my license because my license is, you know, that part of my livelihood. You know what I mean? It's something that I did work really hard to obtain and I'm not going to let a corrupt facility strip that away from me. Even if I plan on walking away from nursing altogether, I'm not going to let them have that kind of power. So it was a very, very hard thing to do. And it's, I, I'm sad for them. But one of the other um, agency nurses told me last, last night that um, there was another aide that walked out when I left. So the administrator, director of nursing and ADON were left there trying to figure out how they were going to run this facility. Incredible. Yeah. And that's just one place. So we know that this has that's happened. Just one place. It's <laughs> oh happening God. everywhere. Yep, oh, it's yeah. happening everywhere. Yeah. Rumor on the street so, is rumor on the street is McCallahide Hospital here in Oxford is treating their own employees. Yes, that's what I heard too. That's incredible. And that's only one place too. Correct. You know, it's incredible, but it's not unexpected. I mean, you know, once once the evidence of the Pfizer documents started coming out and the information started coming out, I had thought that maybe these people would get a clue. But, you know, even the infection control nurses, they, they are oblivious to the fact that this research has now been made public. They have absolutely zero clue, and they're still wrapped up in the brainwashing that they were in back in 2020. I mean, it has damaged their psyche so effectively that they now still believe that this invisible virus that <laughs> that is the most intelligent virus around it is only active above four feet. It comes out at night, and it is literally the boogeyman. You know, so you know they they still believe this. I mean, it, it just shows you the the true power of what fear does to the mind. Uh, do you have any do you have any words on monkeypox? <laughs> so monkeypox is actually um, it is spread through gay sex, um, but it was also one of the listed side effects of the vaccine through the Pfizer vaccine um, that it would cause these blister outbreaks or whatever. Um, uh, that ties into a whole nother topic that we may want to pick up on on another day, Sean, because that that topic is actually pretty pretty big. Um, and I don't know how many people are aware of this information. So I, I say let's do this next week and we'll talk about monkeypox. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely pick this up in the future. <laughs> All right, Sean. It's, it's been good talking to you. I'm glad that you had me on. Awesome. Um, if you don't mind, I would like to, you know, advertise to your listeners that um, – I have opened up a mental health practice in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Um, my uh, sister is a mental health nurse practitioner. She is just as awake as I am, um, is fully aware of everything that is going on. And so we're, we're, our office is designed specifically to treat um, integratively. So she will be doing the mental health assessments, providing medication management. And I will be dealing with the metaphysical side of things. So I'm going to help heal their spirit and treat those um, traumas so that that way they can move forward with their life without the need to have a medication supporting them.
What's the name of it? And uh, name is Flipside Psychiatric Services. Uh, we are located off of Augusta Boulevard there in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, off of State Line Road. You got a website? So we're right on the, uh, yeah, it's uh, flipsidepsych.com. Awesome. Yeah. And I think, I think there's going to be a massive need for what you're offering. Um, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the mental health of our kids has dramatically decreased. Um, they, they have gone through some, something that we never expected anybody to ever go through and their minds being as young and as, you know, fragile and in the stages of development that they're in, they, they have gone through some, something very, very traumatic and they need to know how to deal with that. So, yeah, the, the explosion of mental health services has already started happening. So, you know, I, I think that my, my um, calling to help heal people is um, most effectively served in this manner. So I'm, I'm really excited to be able to start helping the members of the communities. Awesome. Well, definitely good luck with it. And, um, yeah. I definitely want to hear about, I want to hear more about it and, uh, more about, okay. you know, if, if of course you're allowed to share, you know, some of the patients that, uh, some of the patient stories that you end up hearing about and, and the people that you're treating there, mm -hmm. that would, that would certainly be very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could obviously get permission to share their story while of course changing their, you know, Sure. personal information but yeah absolutely because i think that this is going to be a powerful um new way of healing people and helping to people not only just cope but to thrive um so yeah i'm, I'm really excited to see what what the coming months and years have in store for me thank you for listening to american education fm make sure and check out american education fm.com for more information take care and god bless